Now, think about this for a minute. You read the news, and you look at nations and businesses and people's lives, and it looks like everything is falling apart. Did you read about the beer company that picked a new face for its light beer, and they wiped $5 billion from their income because everybody said, I'm not buying that. Now you think, here's a company that's erased five. Could you give me one of those billion <laughs> if you don't need it anymore? But I mean, wow, a company can just like that. Or nations, just, just this morning, uh, reading about Sudan, a big conflict there. Did you hear about the coming nine magnitude earthquake coming to the Pacific Northwest? They found that where the plates meet near the Pacific Northwest, there's a gusher of fluid that the plates are lubricated with. When this fluid is lost, there's way more friction. And the friction is what builds up until there is a release of that and you get an earthquake with the magnitude of nine. Now, that's enough to devastate completely the Pacific Northwest, which is where I'm from. So this is something that hasn't been seen since the year 1700. I don't even think the earthquake in Turkey came up to magnitude 9. So we have never seen an earthquake that powerful, and it's poised and ready to happen. So businesses, nations, families, and churches, everything's falling apart. And I asked the question, how do you build up? Instead of everything falling apart, how do you do that? And the answer to that is you build with wisdom. Listen to this. This is Proverbs 24. By wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. You build with wisdom. Listen to this proverb, chapter 14. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. 
Wisdom builds up. Foolishness tears down. Now, in our chapter today, Israel has just had a civil war, and it is disunified. It's laying in pieces on the floor. Something has to happen in order to build up the nation in unity. And what happens is the nation comes together through wisdom. Wisdom thinks about others. Foolishness only thinks about self. So you build unity with wisdom. So Second Samuel nineteen, and Joab was told, "Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom." So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard it said that day, "The king is grieved for his son." And the people stole back into the city that day as people who were ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you've disgraced all your servants today who have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives, and the lives of your concubines, in that you love your enemies and you hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now therefore, arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you don't go out, not one will stay with you this night, and that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. Now, here's a nation shattered. How do you build it back? You start with the king. If the king is going to put the nation back together as a unity, he has to get it together himself. And the king is a basket case. He is emotionally blasted. He's not fit to act as a king because all he's doing is indulging in his grief and whatever sorrow that is. He's lost his son. It's partly his fault. Everything is swirling around him, and all he can do is just say, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. Ah. And then Joab comes in, who is not known as Mr. Sensitivity. (laughs) 
He's not staging an encounter where we're going to get in touch with our feelings. He comes in with a slap and he says, you know what? You're shaming everybody. Those people just saved your life and your kingdom and everybody, and you're treating them like dirt. Would you be happy if Absalom was alive and we're all dead and Absalom still wants to kill you, you know? He's basically saying, you're being a fool because you're only thinking about yourself. You need to think about your kingdom and think about those people. And David goes out there and speaks to the people. You know why? Because Joab is right. Proverbs 1 says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. That is, a wise man is going to acquire wise counsel from anybody, even if it comes from Mr. Sensitivity. Because it's still wisdom. And if you think, well, you know, I don't like him. He hasn't got anything to show me at all. The proverb also says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So if you're wise, you're going to listen for wisdom no matter where it comes from. And even if it's Joab, David can recognize wisdom when he hears it. And you know the wisdom from above is reasonable, says James. And that is, you use your mind to make rational decisions. You think in orderly ways, not driven by emotion. But if it's wise, you can be reasoned with. Now, does David want to hear what Joab is saying? No. It's the last thing he wants to hear. Does he need to hear it? The answer is yes. So for his good and the good of the nation, he has to think about more than his little emotional crisis. He has to think of others. And that's wise. So you notice when the king begins to function in wisdom, thinking of others, then the people come back to him. He's acknowledging them. And they say, okay, it's going to be all right now. And they continue to follow him in unity. So the wisdom begins right here. When the king thinks about others and not himself. Verse 9. 
Now all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, Well, the king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he's fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the words of all Israel have come to the king, to his very house? You're my brethren. You're my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amazah, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if you're not commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. So he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man. So they sent this word to the king, return you and all your servants. Then the king returned and came to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king to escort the king across the Jordan. Now, here, the king returns to being the king through wisdom. All Israel is stuck. They're wavering in indecision and quarreling. They're thinking, what do we do? What do we do? And they actually say the truth. We actually had a pretty good king who saved us from everybody. But then, yeah, we, re- we anointed Absalom, and so he's kind of dead now. What do we do? And they say, well, why don't you do something? You do something. Stuck. Absolutely stuck. Can't go forward, can't go backward. Stuck. So you know what? They're all thinking of themselves. I'm not going to do something. You do something. So they're foolish. They're stuck. So David solves the problem with wisdom. He asks his own tribe, would you like to bring me back? Now that's gentle, isn't it? He could walk in and bust heads and say, you know what? I'm victorious here. You didn't support me. And you, you didn't support me either. And just take out all these guys and walk in and bust heads? Couldn't he? That's what you get to do if you're victorious. Now, do you think the people would receive him gladly and say, yeah, this is the right thing to do? Let's bring back the guy who's going to step on us. You know what they would say? They would accept him, but they'd say, you know what? He's only out for himself. And that isn't going to bring unity to the nation. So the king here demonstrates his wisdom by gentleness. And that's what... James says in chapter 3, he says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness 
of wisdom. Now, gentle means free from harshness, sternness, or violence. And you know, that means toward others. So that means you're thinking about others. And David says, come on, you guys, what are you waiting for? I mean, you're my family, right? Right? So because David is gentle, they say, yeah, you got a point there. And they say, come on back. There's the unity. Because it's wise to be gentle. So look at verse 16. It says, And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was from Bahirim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Girah, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. Now this is David dealing wisely with a foolish enemy. Here's Shimei, and he hurries down to meet David, even before David gets back to Jerusalem. As soon as he can, he goes down there. And this is at least smart, if not wise. Because when it seemed that David was out of power, and not able to strike back, Shimei thought it was a lot of fun to throw dirt on him and curse him and call him names. And, you know, Abishai says, you know, you, you point your finger, I'll kill him. And David says, no, let him curse. So Shimei thinks, whoa, open season, and throws dirt, you know, from a convenient distance, but just yells filthy names at him and slanders him and throws rocks and everybody's walking along saying, you know, I could kill him real quick. Says, no, don't do it. So now it's not so convenient because, you know, it's a capital crime in the law of Moses to curse the king. And Shimei, with his lightning-fast calculator brain, (laughs) 
goes, I'm a dead man. If David starts to settle up accounts, I'm a dead man. I got to do something right now this second. But you notice, he comes down with a thousand members of his own tribe to ask for mercy. Now, you know, if David kills Shimei like Abishai wants him to, there are going to be a thousand witnesses from Shimei's tribe to see that. Are they going to remember that for the rest of their lives? Yes, they will. So, you know, it's not wise for David to jeopardize the unity of the country just to indulge his own private grievance. He's thinking about the unity of the nation for the good of the nation. And you don't get unity by thinking only of yourself. So he swears to Shimei and says, you shall not die. Now, you know, some people look ahead to when David is on his deathbed and he's giving Solomon instructions. And one of the things he says is, you remember Shimei. Do not let him go down to Sheol in peace. And basically he's saying, kill him. And people look at that and go, really? Is that love? Is that wise? Is that peace? Isn't David being a little hypocritical here? Well, let's think about it for a sec. What's keeping Shimei alive right now? Is it Shimei's wisdom? Mm -mm. He is a worthless person. That's what it says. Worthless. It's David's wisdom that's keeping him alive right now. Now, Shimei's a fool because he only thinks about himself. And this is how Solomon arranges his death. You want to find out how to do it? Tell everybody Pastor Smith told you, okay? Don't, don't quote me on this. But Solomon calls Shimei and says, you know what? You cursed my father with a malicious curse. So I want you to build a house in Jerusalem and live there. And if you ever go outside of Jerusalem, you will die. And Shimei goes, okay. So three years later, one of Shimei's slaves runs away to Gath. And Shimei goes out to Gath to get his slave back. And Solomon calls up Shimei and says, now, we had an arrangement and as long as you stay in Jerusalem, you live. If you ever leave Jerusalem, you die. And you just left Jerusalem. So, David didn't kill Shimei, and Solomon didn't kill Shimei. You know who killed Shimei? Shimei. Because he's only thinking about himself. 
It was only a matter of time before Shimei would just do something thinking about himself and kill himself. Does everybody get that? Worthless, deserved to die, and he did himself in. So, everyone who disobeys God and sends themselves to hell forever is a fool because they're thinking only about themselves. Now, Mephibosheth's wisdom is to choose the anointed one of God above all else. Look at verse 24. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your own eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, You and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. So, you know, Mephibosheth had a way of showing that Ziba, in fact, did betray him. And when he said to Ziba, saddle the donkey for me, I'm going to David, Ziba ditched him, took the donkey himself, threw a bunch of food and supplies on it, and made himself look fabulous to David. Mephibosheth says, okay. But he doesn't, he doesn't take care of himself. Didn't change his clothes. He let his hair grow. Didn't trim his nails. And the purpose of that was to show David, whenever he saw David, I mourned your exile. And I wish I'd gone long, but I couldn't. Now, you know, David was irritated when Ziba says, oh, Mephibosheth thinks he's going to get the kingdom back. He goes, really? Well, then you take everything that he owns. It's yours now. And, of course, Ziba, ka-ching, jackpot. He goes, oh, my lord, the king. You are wise. Thank you. Thank you, oh, lord, my king. So that's the real story. And you know, 
David believes Mephibosheth here. Even though it sounds kind of tough, but look what he says. He says, don't speak any more of this. I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. But that's not what he said. You know what he's trying to do here? He's trying to get Ziba out of Mephibosheth's hair forever. He says, fine, give him what he wants. You take half of it. He wants peace, all right? Well, Mephibosheth comes back with something really unexpected, don't you think? He says, let him have it all. I don't care about servants and lands and houses and possessions. I want you. Isn't that phenomenal? Now, you know, he figured he was dead because that's what happens when a new dynasty comes in. You get rid of everybody belonging to the previous dynasty so nobody can pop up and say, well, actually, I have a claim to the throne. So when you're a new king, you have a new dynasty, you go in and kill everybody. And when Mephibosheth was summoned before David, he figured this is it. A little exit interview, and then turn me over to the executioner. I'm dead. And instead, what David does is show him the chesed of God, the loving kindness. And instead, David gave everything that belonged to his grandfather to him and says, but you're going to eat at my table like one of my sons. So imagine what it was like for Mephibosheth to be that close to David. When you think about what kind of a guy David was, is he just a big name? But when you get up close, you realize, oh, well, he's not that great. I mean, he's a guy. And I've done this. I get up close to people, and I see what they're really like, you know, big names. If you stay quiet and don't do anything stupid, they'll let you hang. And then you can see up close what they're really like. And it's so interesting how some of these big name guys are kind of like goofballs. And you go, wow. Goofball. And you think, gosh, God can use anybody. Right? So, not throwing stones in a glass house here. Imagine Mephibosheth getting up close to David and watching him and finding out here is a guy who knows God, who is filled with the Holy Spirit. How many people have you met in your lifetime that make you think, this guy knows God? Guaranteed, that was the greatest experience of his life. To realize, you know what, I'm closer to God just because you're there. 
So this is Mephibosheth's wisdom to say, you know what? I'm not thinking about what I get from you or what I lose. I'm thinking about you. I want you. Let him have it all. Let poor Zeba end up with everything. That bong head. All he cares about is possessions and slaves and dough and lands. That poor dope is going to wind up with nothing. But I get you. See? Now this is wisdom. To make sure you get Jesus. And to not let anything get in the way of that. To know him and to be intimate with him and to receive from him is everything. And to let something insignificant get in the way of that is absolutely foolish. What is more important? What is more important? So, he is no fool who gives up what he can't keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. Mephibosheth is wise. Does everybody get that? Do you have Jesus? You know, if you don't have Jesus, what do you have? Look at verse 31. And Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rogalim and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Now, Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. And he had supply, provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanam, for he was a very rich man. And the king said to Barzillai, come across with me. And I'll provide for you while you're with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, How long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I'm today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. And why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant turn back again, that I may die in my own city, near the grave of my father and mother. But here's your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord, the king, and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me. And I will do for him what seems good to you. Now, whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan. And when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him. And he returned to his own place. Now here, Barzillai shows wisdom in paying attention to the main thing in life. 
You know, David wants to reward Barzillai for helping him. And he says, I can do a lot for you. And Barzillai says, actually, no, you can't. Isn't that interesting? You know, he's, he's kind of been through it all at this point. At 80 years old, you've sort of done it. You know, whether you have a bucket list or not, you're sort of done. And he says, you know, I'm kind of really past fabulous food. I kind of have to watch the exotic stuff. You know what I'm talking about? I, I need a bland diet. And, you know, the frequencies are kind of gone in my ears. It's like, it might as well be yodeling for all I know. So you can save the choir and keep the rich food to yourself, man. You know, they're all side issues. Do you get that? Here's the issue in front of me right now. I can hear the clock ticking like cannonballs. And I know that I'm about to pass on out of this life. And I want to pass rightly out of this life. That's my big job right now. So you don't need the food. And you don't need the music, and you don't need the big lights and the big city, but you do need to die rightly. And that day is inevitable. Barzillai is keeping his eye on that day. Now, do you keep your eye on that day? Because if you do, you're going to make decisions now that are going to help you on that day. And the chief of those things is that you will know God. It's not how many good things did I do. How many old ladies did I help across the street? It's do I know Jesus? Because that alone gives confidence in the day that you have to die. And that's the great work of your life, really, is to know him. And to know that you have a righteousness from God, not based on what you've done, but on what Jesus has done. See, that alone is going to give you confidence. Everything else is going to scare the daylights out of you. You don't know if you've done enough. You go, I'm going to stand before God. Or you're going to say, Jesus died for me. That is my only plea before God. See? And because you know him, that's what's in your heart. That's what's going to be your foundation. And so when that moment comes, you're going to say, here I am, Lord. And it's going to be okay. That's wisdom. Now look at this. 
Barzillai says, you know what? I don't need that stuff. But why don't you take Chimham with you and do everything that you wanted to do for him? Now listen, this is a little bit different. He says, do for him what is good in your sight. Chimham is obviously a younger guy, right? That would be a benefit to go right to the capital, right to David, right in the heart of things, and whatever David wants. Not even what Chimham wants. Because what David wants is better than what Chimham wants. Get it? Now look, this is wisdom. Is to say to Jesus, whatever you want, that's what I want right now. Because he's got better ideas. That's wisdom to take whatever time you've got and say, whatever you want, Lord. In other words, take the brakes off. Quit saying, oh, maybe. (laughs) What would happen if you said anything you want? You can have it all right now. God, what do you want out of me? I want that. And you pray for that. Again, when it's your time to go, you will know, I have done everything I could possibly do. Now, just as wisdom builds up because it thinks about others, foolishness tears down because it thinks only of itself. So look in verse 40. Now the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him, and all the people of Judah escorted the king and also half the people of Israel. Just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away? And brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan. So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king. Therefore we have also more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Okay, David is going on in a procession now. It's like, oh yeah, we're with the king. Everything's great. And he's got Judah, his own tribe, and then at least a thousand Benjamites. And then all the other people of Israel, whoever they are, show up. And then there's this conflict. Israel, the northern tribes, says to the king, why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away? Now, who knows how they said that? That would help, wouldn't it? Is it a light, jokey kind of thing? Hey, they kind of stole you away. I mean, you know, 
we would like to do this too. But what they're emphasizing is unity. Why have our brethren? They're still acknowledging Judah, right? Brethren. Um, and he says, we have 10 shares in the king. We have more right to David than you are. They're emphasizing the unity, right? We should do this together, right? Because we're unified, right? And then you notice they were talking to the king. But before the king can answer, all the men of Judah just kind of go rah, 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 rah. And everything they say is right. Yes, they belong to his tribe. And yes, they didn't take advantage of the king and they didn't eat at his expense. Everything is okay, but it's the way they came back. A little too much coffee there, guys. Now, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And this is going to break up the nation again before they can even really get unified. This is really hard stuff. And you know why these words are harsh from Judah? It's because they're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about others. Remember, David said to the elders of Judah, why are you the last to think about bringing the king back? And maybe they thought about that and said, yeah, it does kind of look bad, doesn't it? And they want to kind of project this image of, we're for the king. You know, we want to look good. And they defend themselves. And you know, this doesn't represent the king very nicely. Here's David showing gentleness, forbearance, forgiving a worthless man who deserves to die for the sake of the whole nation. That's more important than his own grief and revenge and whatever else. That's wise. But you know, these guys, the men of Judah, they blow it up in a minute because they're worried how it looks to others and they want to look right. Best defense is a good offense. And so they sock it to the northern tribes and they tear down the nation with their foolish attitude. So think about this. Wisdom builds in unity because wisdom is thinking about others. Foolishness tears down because it's only thinking of self. Now this is true of any group, anywhere at any time. It's true of nations. You know why nations are falling apart? Because people are thinking only of themselves. This is true of businesses. They're thinking only of themselves. This is true of families. This is true of churches. You can either build up in wisdom or tear down in foolishness. 
Now, it's useless to be like Israel and say, well, who's going to do something about it? You know what I mean? Somebody should do something. When the answer is, you do something about it. You bring back the king. You bring back the king in wisdom. You build in wisdom, in your family, in the church, at your job, in the whole nation. You build in wisdom. And first, the first thing to do in wisdom is to receive Jesus. Because the only wise God sent his son to reconcile the world to himself. You know that Jesus dying for our sins provides unity. That's God not thinking about himself. That's Jesus not thinking about himself, but thinking about others. And that tends towards this fabulous unity thinking about others. So it's wise to invite him into your life to be the king. That's wise because you're thinking about your future. And again, if you haven't done that, you need to do it. You need to think ahead. But you know, Jesus is building. That's the interesting thing. He says, I am building my church on this confession of me as Messiah. And the gates of hell will not prevail except when people are thinking about themselves, even in a church, even in a family, and they inevitably tear down what Jesus is doing. And you know, that's foolish. Now, a side benefit of getting right with God is that families get right with God, and churches function as they should. That even benefits the entire nation. It should benefit your job, because you're building, because you're thinking about others. That can have a knock-on effect to the entire nation. And why not the world? Because that is the potential. But you know, if you're not wise toward God, you will tear down His work Everywhere you go, it's inevitable. When somebody is out for themselves, they tear down inevitably. So here's the challenge, is to say, Lord, I want to be wise. And I want to build up what you're doing. So let's pray. It's so easy, Heavenly Father, 
think about me. And it's so unlike me to think about others. And the only way that any of us will do that is if you live in us. So we pray that you would manifest that death of Jesus in our lives. so that you can also reveal his life in us. Give us understanding so that we don't tear down what you're building, but instead build up. And we pray that you would do all the good that you want to do in our families, in the church, on the job, at school, in our country. Help us to build up and not tear down. We commit ourselves into your hand and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.